Welcome to Podcast Therapist, presented by Virginia Family Therapy. I'm Sarah. I'm Caroline. And I'm Amanda. As three family therapists, we know how hard it is to feel like you're being the parent you want to be while juggling everyone's needs. We specialize in helping families just like you during the long days of multitasking and constant searching for the bar of success. Our podcast mixes expertise, real life advice, and embarrassing stories. Whose embarrassing story? Let's walk through this together. Welcome to Podcast Therapists. I'm Sarah Lewis, and I'm here with Caroline. I'm so excited. We're very honored to have Dr. Carol Borsma with us, a pediatrician with Piedmont Pediatrics. And she's kind of famous. She's won multiple awards for teaching and clinical excellence, of course. But we're very, very fortunate to have her right here on our podcast. And Caroline and and I are super lucky because we share a lot of clients with her. So we know how awesome she is as everybody's doctor. So Carol, welcome to our podcast and thanks for doing this. Thanks so much. So happy to be here with you guys today. So as much as we would love to just sit and talk about your life, Carol, we actually have a topic that we've decided to talk about, although we can get, we can do another podcast on that sometime. <laughs> um, I'm sure your sons would really appreciate it if we did that. And then we wouldn't like have their friends listen and stuff. But um, I think what we're going to try to tackle today is kind of connected to last week, right? Yeah. So, I mean, last week, I feel like we talked about sort of girls and ADHD and your and Amanda's personal experiences with ADHD. And so I feel like it's actually a great segue into what we're talking about today with Carol, which is sort of like raising boys or sons with ADHD. And what does that look like? And how do we parent those kiddos? Yeah. So Carol, can you tell us a little bit, you have a new passion project. Oh, yes. Well, very exciting. So my pandemic uh, project, so to speak, was I got two different coaching certifications. I was introduced to the concept of coaching a few years before the pandemic started and really just found it valuable in my own life and in terms of how I thought about the world and my parenting and my job and everything. And so I felt like it would be a very cool tool to incorporate some into practice and maybe to do um, some other things as well. So I became certified as a health and wellness coach, but then also as a life coach through the life coach school. So that's been, and I'm just starting to kind of implement that a little bit and it's been fun. Yeah. So you're, um, you're the coaching MD, right? That we'll be able to find your website at some point soon, you said? Yes. Yes. We're hoping soon. <laughs> so Carol, you see, so we oftentimes, um, Caroline and I and Amanda, oftentimes we do a lot of treatment of young men and young boys for ADHD. Sometimes we are the screener, but more, more than not, um, these folks come to the pediatrician first. And, and we actually oftentimes on the podcast, we'll talk about that is a great first step to have your child assess because the pediatrician has usually known your child for quite a long time. So can you tell us a little bit about like, even just on the first steps, like as you kind of see come, kids come through your door and then the biggest step and the thing we would really love to hear you talk about too, especially is parenting these kids, because I think it's one thing as a parent, when you 
you know, go through this evaluative process and you're like, great, I have an answer. But then there's a lot more next <laughs> steps from there. It's like, great, what do I do now? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that in terms of diagnosis, when kids are under the age of 12, it's a little bit easier because we can use simple screening tool, um, the Vanderbilt questionnaires, which we can give to parents and teachers, and they can fill these questionnaires out. And then we can look at that and um, look and see whether or not it's consistent with a diagnosis. But for older kids, sometimes it's a little bit more complex. And often if they've made it into the older age range without being diagnosed, (laughs) you know, they've they've developed lots of coping skills to get there. And so I do think that with both older kids and younger ones who may seem to have other things going on too, the Vanderbilt questionnaires are okay, but really the gold standard is a psychoeducational evaluation done by a psychologist who can really delve in and uh, look for attentional issues, but also whether or not, you know, the things are suggestive of a learning disorder or processing um, issue or, you know, and how much any mood issue plays a role. So I think that there are some times where I feel like the Vanderbilt questionnaires are sufficient, but then there are other times where I feel like I don't know that we're getting the complete picture. This might be one little component that we can address, but it would be nice to know kind of what, what exactly are we dealing with here? I love that you said that because we actually talked last week about, especially because we were kind of focused more on girls. We talked a lot about pulling apart anxiety and attention issues because they seem to kind of blend a lot in, in boys too, but it looks, I think, a little different and or presents slightly different mm-hmm. with um, younger boys and, and then girls. Yeah, I think that those, I always say those two are, they commonly go together. And I think that what I see too is in the beginning, particularly with boys, anxiety really presents a lot as kind of emotional ability and behavioral issues and, you know, difficulties with transitions and those kinds of things. And so it it looks kind of, it doesn't really look like what we think of as anxiety, like someone kind of nervous or, you know, avoid, and it's more kind of this there's much more of this behavioral disruption um, in the younger ages. And then as kids get older, I feel like, and they become more aware that maybe they're missing things or they're having to try really hard to get things to understand or to follow directions or to do their schoolwork, you know, that in and of itself can make people pretty anxious, you know, because they feel like you have to be on all the time. Carol, can you tell us when people come into your office, what do you usually hear? Or what do you like when you sort of start checking in with yourself about like, maybe this kid has ADHD, it starts to be on your radar. Do you feel like there are things that you hear from kids or you hear from parents that you're like, okay, this is kind of cluing me in that direction? Mm, it's a great question. I mean, I think the easier, more straightforward, cases are where there's a hyperactivity piece that I can see in the office. And again, that doesn't mean for sure. I mean, a lot of people just, kids have a lot of energy and that's great. Um, But, you know, there are 
sometimes where you can look and a child just needs lots and lots of redirection and kind of physical boundaries and that sort of thing. So I feel like when there's the hyperactive piece, it's sometimes much more obvious. But when it's just the inattention piece, I think that, you know, is certainly um, also challenging. And, And in those cases, sometimes I feel like we miss a lot of those early on. And this, I'm sure, came up when you guys were, or maybe came up last uh, week when you guys were doing the episode with girls, is that, you know, the inattention is much harder to see when it's not accompanied by that hyperactive piece. And so, like, I would say for girls or boys, sometimes that that takes us a little while longer because sometimes we may just think, well cognitively, maybe the work is too challenging, or maybe, you know, there are other things that maybe we kind of use to explain why the school performance in particular isn't as good. So that's a, that's a trickier one and just takes more, just kind of listening and probably, you know, just sort of teasing out what it is about school. Sometimes, you know, the younger ones who just have inattention, I feel like it's more difficult to sort of pull things out of them. But older kids, like if they're having school performance issues, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll ask certain questions like, oh, you know, tell me about that. You know, do you like this subject? Do you not really like it? What is it that you do like? Or um, is there anything in particular that you find challenging? And sometimes, you know, then they're able to say something that leads me to think, wow, that might be something we can look into a little bit more. Um, but it definitely, I feel like takes longer to identify. I think I don't do research probably because I don't have enough of an attention span to have ever spent a ton of time doing research. But I wonder if we should also sometimes give a scale to the parent, not just on, so what does your kid look like, but how anxious and frustrated are you feeling right now? Mm. <laughs> I think oftentimes, you know, when you start to explain to a parent what is going on for their kid, especially with the inattentive type in particular, because the hyper part, like you said, is so can be so obvious because you're, you know, the child just took apart the lawnmower and they're three. <laughs> but I think the inattentive part, like when you tell a parent, sometimes they're like, oh my gosh, I yeah. have been so hard on this kid. And sometimes they're, especially around homework and schoolwork, the battles yeah. are amazing yeah. and really hurtful, I think, for relationships sometimes. I mean, I'm sure that you get the same reporting we do, really. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think I think the best cases are when the parent can see that, like you said, and say, oh, no, you know, this is what I've done. But I think I run into a lot of parents who have a lot of kind of parenting guilt that their child isn't performing as well as they feel that they should or... I feel like the parents sometimes have a lot of shame about it. And maybe if they, you know, somehow were doing something better or more or paid more attention or micromanaged more, you know, it would, the child would perform better or the behavior would be better. And I think that that comes out sometimes as it can be, I think it feels kind of harsh. And I think a lot of times you know, and what I feel like you were sort of hinting to is just managing expectations that, you know, the 
child isn't, it's not like they can just like work harder to pay attention. It's that they're really, you know, they're kind of maxed out. A lot of times they're doing what they can, but I think we feel as parents sometimes that they're not doing their best or they're not trying hard enough. And I think that messaging can be just, um, the kid hears it, you know, um, yeah, for sure. I like that you said that. Cause I think it's kind of, even the parent who's saying it is creating shame, not only for their kid, but for them. And I, I yeah. think for me, I, and I'm not saying this in a biased way, but I do tend to, to work much more, see it and hear it much more from moms. Yeah. And, and I think we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but you know, really, I think moms walk through the world just collecting guilt. They're like Velcro, <laughs> right? They just like, if there's guilt or shame in the room, I'll take it. Yes, Thanks. Yes. But have it, you know, your kid's hair is a color mm. you didn't think it was going to be. <laughs> Sorry about that. Like, yep. you know, if it's My not here today, let me, let me go ahead and grab the, the shame and the guilt for that. But so I do think that there's a big piece of, of helping manage that. They can be really tricky. And, and I know we get, I mean, I think we have the opportunity a lot of times in our roles to help that mm-hmm. with the very beginning of how things get presented even, right? So mm-hmm. how do you kind of package that or how do you kind of walk someone through that to help when you sense that's there or know that might be coming? Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that over the years I've tried to pay close attention to, or at least tried to address is like, just like you said, early on, when we're even just first talking about the diagnosis, um, is really to kind of set the stage in a way, but also there's a poster. <laughs> I, I I have to find it, but it's basically, you know, it, it says, you know, ADHD is an attention for activity, something else, but it also is like creativity, passion, like, and it lists like, I don't know, 30 character traits that you're like, oh yeah. And so I think that even from the get-go, the first thing that I try to do with parents, but also particularly with the child is say like, your brain is awesome and it can do a heck of a lot of things my brain can't you know, and there are some really cool things that you're going to be able to do that it's going to be much harder for other people to do. And I talk about like, you know, some CEOs and entrepreneurs who, you know, like really all have ADHD (laughs) and are highly successful. Um, But, you know, I say, unfortunately, sometimes for our traditional school model, it's not as helpful. It doesn't necessarily cater to that. And so, I try in the very beginning to kind of set the stage of like, this can actually be a gift and kind of involve the parent in that discussion. But then also, you know, to really kind of touch on how, how emotionally exhausting the school days can be and how, you know, that is at the end of the day when their behavior often deteriorates, like they have really held it together for a very long time. Um, And it's just, they're kind of, maxed out. Um, And so I think that, you know, just kind of, even just from the very get go introducing that, and I think it's something that has to sort of repeatedly been like, it, it needs to be a repeated reminder. Like this isn't your child, you know, choosing to not do something or although sometimes I think it really seems like a choice 
the parents because they're like, no, no, no. I asked them 12 times and they did not. I really, really think like there's no way they did not remember. I'm like, you know, like one of the things I say is I'm like, never, ever expect your child to pick up their wet towel off the floor ever. Like that's never going to be a priority. Their mind is going to have at least 10 things that are way ahead of picking a wet towel off the floor, you know, and then unless you incentivize it, which is a whole different you right. know, topic, but <laughs> you know, but it's like, that's never going to happen. Like, don't even waste your energy. Like, you know, and so, and so just from the beginning, trying to set the stage of it and, and and even like involve a lightness, you know, and, and sometimes a little bit of, um, depending on how receptive people are, you know, to yeah. lightness and a humor to it so that it doesn't seem so heavy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's awesome. I love the way you put it. I talk about in my practice, I talk about superpowers when you are attention deficit. I also, a lot of times provide a list of famous people with attention deficit or hyperactivity disorder and athletes and folks like that, because I think that helps the kids a lot of times too, but it does actually, I did it originally thinking it would help my clients, the kids realize very quickly, the parents actually would grab the list and hold on to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Absolutely. Maybe I'm setting some kids up. I don't know. Like now yes. you have to be those. <laughs> but, um, but I think, yeah, I, I think especially I would imagine I mean, I grew up in a house full of attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder. So, I mean, we all talk over each other. Everybody's blurting it. Like it was just, everybody's fairly extroverted. There's a certain amount of energy, right? And an attention going on all the time. And so then I had my own child who I saw pretty early. I was like, yep, this is coming. Go ahead and do testing. Like I knew, right? But I wonder, is it, I mean, I, I do sometimes really empathize with the parents who don't come from the house like mine, yeah. they have a child that has attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, because I think it is like kind of a foreign world yeah. for them in a lot of ways. For sure. I think that, yeah, I th- it's really like a kind of a paradigm shift to think of living in a brain where some things don't come naturally and some things come way more naturally. You know, and I think that one of the other things I try to, you know, just talk about is just executive functioning and how that's really challenging for kids who have ADHD. And, you know, the truth is everybody has strengths and weaknesses. It's just that there's a certain combination of things that may not be as strong for kids with ADHD. And, you know, everyone has the strengths and weaknesses. But I think when you do not have that certain combination, it looks dramatic, but I feel like going through the different ones, you're like, oh yeah, I'm not really super at like future goal setting or something, you know, that you're like, oh, that's an executive function, you know, (laughs) very clearly like organization and attention and emotional control is, you know, you're like, oh yeah, my kid has none of those, but you know, it's just. (laughs) I wonder sometimes if they're like, and nor does my husband or Well, I know, I'm sure you guys experience that. Like that happens a lot when a child's going through a diagnosis. I mean, so more times than I can count at the same time, the parents like, Oh my gosh. Right. You know, like, yeah. yeah, So, yeah. I mean, because again, like there is definitely some familial tie there. It's not just nurture for sure. Yep. I have a question. 
Oh, good. Because my ADD brain went somewhere else. So go ahead. <laughs> okay. So I think like one thing that happens a lot when you start, or when I start talking to parents about potential ADHD or like the first reaction I get is like, well, what if I don't want to medicate my child? Right? Like there's this anxiety that my only option if my child has ADHD is medication. And I do think there are lots of cases where, or there are some cases where medication can be really helpful. But I think sometimes parents' fears are that like, there's nothing else I can do. This is my only option, right? And so I feel like if we're talking about sort of raising kids with ADHD, Carol, like, what kind of recommendations do you give for parents in terms of, hey, wait, there are actually so many other things that we can do to help you as a parent and to help you help your kid? What kind of things do you talk about? So that's an excellent question. Um, and I think that, you know, there are a few different areas, like one of course, is classroom accommodation. So just even knowing that this is something that the child struggles with, you know, they can have extra time on tests and potentially some assignments. They can sit in a quieter space, you know, to take a test or a quiz, or, you know, they can sit closer to the front of the room, have you know, talk to the teacher about certain prompts that she can use that would subtly kind of redirect the child versus, you know, calling them out in class all the time. Um, you know, so I think there are there are multiple different classroom modifications that can be made either formally, you know, in a 504 plan or maybe an IEP with kids who have other issues or just with the teacher, you know, as a partnership with the teacher, if you have someone who's um, receptive to that. So there's that aspect. And then there's, you know, I really feel like so many of the times it's just parent coaching. So, um, you know, often I will refer them to someone that can help them learn how to manage certain situations. You know, I'm sure you guys provide that and, you know, certain child psychologists do too. Like here are some different, just different ideas for managing behavior that um, that really make a huge difference at home. Um, and I think always the emphasis that I try to make is that I'm not having you do this because I think you're not parenting well, right? Again, like just trying to avoid that guilt and shame about it's not because you're not doing something right. <laughs> it's just that there's so many different strategies and techniques, you know, that someone who is really skilled with working with kids and parents with ADHD can offer um, that are not intuitive so many, you know, so many times that really can help. And so I think, you know, strengthening basically the school and the home kind of supports is really um, is something that's hugely beneficial. I oftentimes warn parents, um, the school day is really long for mm -hmm. most kids, and it doesn't matter how old they are. So it's long for your high school kid. It's long for your elementary school kid when you have an attention issue and the school year. And this is again, because I hate to do research because it would call, it would ask me to focus too much in some sort of way in an organized fashion. So this is why like, I love Caroline who can do things like this with her brain. But um, anecdotally, I mean, I think most attention deficit kids have 
their school year ends about two weeks before it actually ends. So they are checked out those last two weeks of school and it's, and it makes home pretty crazy and it makes school pretty difficult, but I see it every year. And I think it's just, again, it takes so much energy sometimes to fit into these boxes and the way the education system is in our country, it is kind of a lecture set up. So they, everybody's in one room, you're being talked to, like, those aren't really ideal for somebody whose brain doesn't stay focused. So, I mean, just speaking from a little experience. Well, and I mean, we can even talk about the switch to block scheduling. Classes are now so long, like 90 minutes or longer, I think. And and I, as an adult who does not have ADHD, like I can't focus for that amount of time. So I think like, we're asking a huge thing of kids and teenagers in general. But as soon as you add in like an attention issue, it's like the way that we are creating the school day is not tailored to, to, Hey, we're going to do a little bit of work, take a break and do a little bit of work and take a break. It's like, no, you're going to sit here for these extensive periods of time. And we're going to ask you to do a really hard thing, which is like pay attention and stay in your seat for an incredibly long time over and over again. Yeah. We're not, we're definitely not setting these kids up for success. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, I'll share with you, Carol. And I, I mean, and I've, I think I've told the story before on our podcast, but I obviously have some attention issues that I, I have learned lots of skills around and I can hyper-focus. Luckily, if you're my client, don't worry. But my daughter, I remember in third grade, she jumped in the car. I think I was driving her to school and we sat, you know, we're kind of just about to get out of the car. And I said, look, you have this great, you know, kind of organizer that your teacher gave everybody. I think it would really help you if I think it would really help your anxiety. I think I said even because I'm a therapist. So I might, you know, use all these feeling words with my daughter her whole life, which she probably hates. And I said, I think it would really help your anxiety if you would write all your assignments down. And she just looked at me and she said, Mom, I think it would really help your anxiety if I wrote all these assignments down. And she wasn't being flippant. Like she was being sweet, actually. And I was like, oh, yep, you're right. It's totally, this is mine. This has nothing to do with you. But it was, you know, and it was about, it was totally about her missing things or my, my being anxious and stressed for her to feel the anxiety and stress that I think I probably felt in school. So I kind of was a little worried. She wasn't feeling all of it clearly or any of it, to be honest. I was feeling it for her, which was really nice of me at the time, <laughs> but it's fine. I think it's really easy as a parent to, and I mean, again, I'm a parent who knows I have it. I'm a parent who talks about it every day, all day. And I still, you know, did this as a parent. So, I mean, I think it's really a very natural thing as for a parent to fall into that place. I did not take on any shame nor grief or, you know, or, or guilt about it, but I did feel that kind of, I just don't want you to suffer was kind of the feeling I had. Yeah. And I think that's why I feel like the, one of the support pieces is that the parenting piece, because it's so, it's just so helpful when parents can not necessarily, I mean, for parents to do the work too, um, with themselves, with, you know, their own therapist, whether it's the same person that works with their child or not, like that work is so important. And, and I, I think it's one of the reasons I was like, Ooh, I feel like that's something that we don't really mm-hmm. 
you know, we don't really have a lot of things to offer that. Um, and one of the reasons I was really thinking about incorporating that into the coaching too, just because I feel like it's so helpful when the parent can look at their own behavior uh-huh. and just understand it more. Like you were saying, like, you know, even, I mean, you understood the concept of your anxiety. And so you were able to receive that, you know, like, oh, you're totally right. But, you know, for someone else, like that may land a completely different way. Sure. Um, and I, I think there are so many ways we can help su- support folks that, you know, aren't necessarily intuitive, I guess. Or haven't, yeah, just haven't had some of the same experiences. Yeah. Because it can yeah. feel, I mean, I would imagine, again, I have, my brain works this way. So, um, but I would imagine if your brain doesn't work this way, Caroline and Carol, um, that it must, it must feel kind of odd to think, of, you know, to kind of see a kid not like be able to hear three things, to list three things and have a kid miss two of them. I have this, this story that very early on is just like crystal clear in my brain. It was the experience I had with um, one of my sons who has ADHD and he was, I can't remember how old he was. I think he was 10, let's say. And we were, you know, I was trying to, you know, all the things he has to do in a day. And I'm like, listen, we're going to make a list, right? I mean, this is helpful. I'm going to help him make a list. So I put this list with like these check boxes and I was so frustrated because we had this checklist and for a week he did not use the checklist. Like I was like, there is a checklist. Like you can look, what is, what are you doing next? And I, you know, one day I was like, no, dude, listen, listen, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to walk with you. So we literally looked at the list. We went and did the thing. Then we had to go back to the list, look at the next thing, and then go do that thing. And so we did this whole thing. And at the end, I realized he didn't even really know how to use a list. And it was mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I was like, I mean, because I thought, it, like, everyone understands checklists, right? But his brain, that did not make sense to him at all. It was just, it was fascinating to me. And later I learned he had someone who did some tutoring with him, and she did this system that was actually way more helpful for him. She used post-its, but she wrote one thing down at a time on each post-it. And there were like on the wall, there were three sections. It was to do in progress and done. And you would take the post-it and move it. Mm -hmm. And this was more for schoolwork. I'm sure with brushing your teeth, that might be a little cumbersome, but you know, but that like that visual system, that one thing on a post-it at a time, it was not a list, Mm -hmm. but it was, way more helpful to him. And I was like, okay, there's no way I would have ever come up with anything like that. You know, so it just, these things, it's not like you're bored knowing these things and ways to, you know, to help. So. No. And I think that's true. I mean, I think, you know, some kids are really, I mean, that's the thing. Some kids can really do that. Caroline, I would imagine at birth, you probably had a list, right? Guys, lists bring me huge amounts of calm. Like, I love a good checklist. I just find satisfaction in checking things off. Like sometimes I will add a very basic task to my list just so, you know, in 15 minutes, I'm going to get to check it off. But I think we also have a tendency when something works for us to be like, oh, if I just explained it more, right? Like if I just say it louder, 
then my kid is going to understand. And it's like, hey, or it might be Carol, like you were saying, like the list just doesn't work. But because it works for me, sometimes as a parent, it's like, okay, if I just re-explain, if I just do this again, then my kid will understand as opposed to being like, maybe I need to go back to the drawing board and think about something else. And the list just isn't working. I, I personally do not have a contact high with lists in that way. Because truthfully, I probably have seven lists floating around at all times that are incomplete and crossover. It would make Caroline nuts. I mean, literally, I live with someone who also has attention deficit, but it manifests differently. When we built our house, we were fortunate enough to be able to build a house. When we built our house, there is a room, Caroline, you've seen it, with a sliding door. It is my office. It is so the door can be closed. No one can see in it meaning my significant other who would have a heart attack, like can't even walk into Costco because it's too busy. So like it's because my office is the drop zone, right? So that is fine. And I can look at it and, but the door is always closed. If it's even like every morning or every afternoon, I hear it. It's usually like cracked open a little bit. because we have a cat that'll go in there or whatever. I hear it get shut. Like it get it's firmly closed. Like it creates, it's too much. And so I think, yeah, we all have, we all have our systems. We all have our way of doing things. And sometimes and kids, I think sometimes with, with young kids, they can't always articulate what system works for them, but older kids can actually. And it's important to hear what they have to say about that and what works and doesn't work for them. I know I've tried the whole family calendar thing so many times, like little whiteboard stuff, and I would get like the most sarcastic notes on it. So it wasn't worth it after a while, really. Like the shopping list would be like, get a new life. You know, like it was, I was like, thanks guys. That's really funny. And, but you know, I mean, I have a funny family, which is nice. Everybody has a good sense of humor, but nobody has good organization skills. (laughs) (laughs) Or we all have them in different ways. Maybe that's what I should say. But I think it is, I mean, you're right, Caroline. Like, I think, you know, as parents, especially you kind of come in with this great idea. And when the great idea keeps failing, then you feel like you're failing. And it's hard not to personalize it. So our next episode is on day drinking. No, I'm kidding. It is. <laughs> it's not. I'm totally kidding. But I do think like it can be frustrating. And I think when you get, it's interesting when you get parents together that are that are raising ADHD kids, there's a lot to talk about for them. And their notes are all very similar. And that part's fun when, when you know, you find another parent who's dealing with some of the same stuff. Well, and I think there's so much to be said for someone just acknowledging that it's okay and that this is, you know, a very common experience and it's not just sort of that you're doing something wrong or you're not implementing the right strategies or, you know, it's really, I I think there's so much to be said for someone just saying this is, this is so understandable, (laughs) you know, like, and. Um, it makes sense. Like, cause in, in your mind as a parent, in my mind as a parent, I'm like, nothing is making sense. This does not make sense at all, you know, but, um, but there's, a, there's a lot to be said for just that kind of validation. And I think creating a community and reminding parents that they're not in it alone is huge because I think when we're talking about shame and guilt, those are two of the hardest feelings to feel. And so helping a parent navigate through that, it's huge. I also, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you guys have noticed the same thing, but I feel like the younger population, kids in high school and middle school are really comfortable sharing things that they're dealing with in such a really fascinating and fabulous way. They're so much more open, I think, than, than 
kind of kids and generations before them. Uh, and, and I think COVID has actually pushed that a little bit further. There's a, there's a much, a lot of kindness and tolerance that is moving through, you know, kind of younger, like I'd say preteens to teens for sure. And probably the elementary school kids too. Um, but lots of kids talk about this and they'll kind of be fine. Like they'll say, you know, I mean, I've heard my daughter's friends even be like, Hey, eyes on me. I'm, you know, like, and it's cute. I mean, it's funny. It's like, it's not meant to be unkind and it's, you know, and they'll talk about their ADD moment or their attention deficit moment or whatever. But I think it's, it's really kind of nice that there's been this normalcy for them. I still think parents get a little hung up. Um, I think it's, it's still really hard as a parent to kind of know how to navigate. A lot of times we're just going to send everybody to the coaching MD, but but I, I think it, it's, it can be, it's still definitely a struggle. And we, and I think most adults, you know, kind of grew up with it being a little bit more taboo, but it is nice to know that, that really the kids don't feel as uncomfortable with it. It does. It's, it can still be hard to get a hold of it when kids are still trying to figure out, you know, or when you're trying to help a family figure out what it is, once the kids know what it is and they gain more skill around mastery and new coping mechanisms, I think it can be really easy after that. So what, Carol, would you say for parents, like, what are some of the things that you would suggest as far as making sure that they kind of obviously reach out, but anything else that you would say, like, would you suggest it if they're concerned about, you know, even the diagnosis to, to lean back into a pedi- their pediatrician and just share that and not, not be worried about sharing it? Absolutely. I mean, I think that um, just not being afraid to acknowledge any of those sort of concerns or fear of what that's going to look like. Or, you know, I, I think that's absolutely a safe space to sort of unpack that a little bit. And, you know, I, I think for anyone who's able, you know, I think that just kind of coming to see you guys and having a space where they can share some of that frustration and just be able to get maybe some, just some other suggestions, some other ways of looking at the situation that may, may help. I just think that's, it's so, so important. Um, And so much of the attention I feel like is directed on the child. And that I think too is, you know, that can be a lot also. Um, And so just to be able to seek out that support for themselves Mm -hmm. is super helpful. I kind of, you know, thinking back the time, I mean, I even, again, I knew all this stuff and still made lots of lovely mistakes, but I remember, especially because I worked full-time and I was bouncing. So my, you know, I would come home and my time initially with my daughter at home would be homework time. And that just is not an easy time for ADHD kids. Nope. So I definitely want to acknowledge that to all the parents out there that um, it just is, it, it's just different. And it's a little bit more challenging when your kid is is challenged with ADHD. It doesn't mean your child isn't brilliant and won't be super successful, but homework is always a little bit of a bumpy road. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wait, that sounded kind of personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sound you it just may, made. <laughs> it, it, may, it may be. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like we should wrap this up. Um, thank you so much, Carol, for joining us today. This was fantastic. And it was so much fun to have you. And Sarah, I'm going to hand this off to you. Dr. Carol Borsma with Piedmont Pediatrics. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please tell us 
folks can find your coaching when your website goes up soon at the coaching MD. Is that right? Um, or also you are at Piedmont Pediatrics. That's your day job. You got it. You got it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you again for joining us and for sharing all this great insight. We really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks guys. It was so fun. So fun. Thank you.